The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Donica Hall Saunders. She's the founder and CEO of the Averity Group, a consulting firm that helps companies and organizations in highly regulated industries transform their reputation at the intersection of social impact, communications, and public policy. Now, Donica is recognized as something of a mission-driven political and social impact strategist that specializes in complex policy and also in media environments. With over a decade of experience in the private sector and on Capitol Hill, Donica connects public policy and organizational priorities with an emphasis on politically astute, coalition-based communications and strategic partnerships. Now, in today's conversation, you're going to hear something I would describe as a radically authentic conversation. There's no doubt Donica is a dynamic leader and advocate for social impact and transformation, and she shares valuable insights on the evolving landscape of leadership and the profound impact of the pandemic that, of course, we're all still navigating, including the newly emerging appetite for social impact and bringing the humanity back into business and politics. Now, from her experience working with globally recognized brands such as Philip Morris International, to her role in forging meaningful relationships and building trust, Donica offers something of a unique perspective on the power of change and also the importance of shared values and relationships. So join us as we dive deep into the world of leadership, social impact, and the transformative power of finding common ground. Get ready for an inspiring and thought-provoking conversation, because without further ado, let me introduce you to Donica Horse Saunders. Hey, Donica, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Oh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I know we don't know each other very well, and that's why I'm really excited to dive in deep with you today. But before I do, I know that our listeners have just heard your professional bio, and I'd love to go beneath the surface a little bit and find out a little bit about the real life human behind that bio. Who's she? Ooh, a deep question. Who is she? She <laughs> is a person who is dedicated to service. And when people listen to my background or look at my background, they're like, oh, you, you've done all these really different things. Where's the connectivity? Whereas when I look back on my background, I think oh, there is absolutely a thread and that thread is having a focus on being of service to people, just doing it in a variety of different ways. So how did you come to the work that you're doing today, Donica? <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> I am a lawyer by training. 
but realized very early in my career that I did not want to traditionally practice law. And so I had to ask myself and my broader network, where do recovering lawyers go? And the answer (laughs) resoundingly was Washington, D.C. And that's how I ended up in Washington, D.C. in our nation's capital. And I started just doing internships, fellowships. This was after law school. And I had some really great mentors step in and tell me, you belong on Capitol Hill with your background, with your passions. And I was like, great, where do I go to apply? Also, like, that's not quite how it works here in D.C. in politics. But I figured it out and ended up getting some really great opportunities on the Hill. And so spent a good amount of time in public policy on the Hill in committees and leadership offices and in personal offices in the United States House of Representatives. I was then recruited by Heineken USA, so big beer, if you will, uh, to come off of the Hill and to be not only a Democratic lobbyist, but at the time they were really struggling with their social impact work in the US. And Heineken as a big global brand, they have big global messaging, but it wasn't resonating in the US because of the way that Americans view not only drinking culture, but also the alcohol industry. And so I went there, spent several years doing both of those things as a democratic lobbyist, really fell in love with the social impact work and had the vision to say, I have done what I think I can do in this particular industry. I'm looking for a bigger challenge. Now, if you had told me that that bigger challenge was going to be in big tobacco, I absolutely would not have (laughs) believed you. Uh, But, you know, we make plans and then uh, God laughs, as they say. And so... (laughs) I followed a leader over to Philip Morris International. I wasn't drawn to the brand necessarily. I was drawn to some of the people there and the opportunity there that I didn't think I would get anywhere else. If I could drive social impact, if I could take Philip Morris International as a brand and start to integrate it into civil society in a way that had never been done before, I can do anything. And so that's the challenge that I took on and spent several years as their head of civil society in Philip Morris International until I went off and started my own consultancy to help organizations and highly regulated industries transform their reputation. Oh, wow. You know, when somebody says the word social impact, Philip Morris is almost the antithesis of that in my head, whether that's true or not, it may be a bias I have. But I love that you went almost like to the the heart of the dragon in a way to really start to, you know, initiate different conversations. So what were the shifts and the changes that you managed to implement when you were there? I think it's important to mention before I answer that question, some of the different identity pieces that I had in terms of the space that I was walking into. This is also a lesson for some of our listeners in terms of being overall aware (laughs) of what you're walking into. Um, Now, I was out of the Washington, D.C. office, even though I reported into a global team, but I was the youngest person. This was in 2019. So the youngest person they had ever hired in their Washington, D.C. office, the first Black person they had ever hired in their Washington, D.C. office, and the first person that had a Democratic background um, coming into their Washington, D.C. office, which means that I was entering into an environment of totally, totally different politics (laughs) than um, I might personally have or have advocated on behalf of from a professional perspective. And so I think it's important to mention that because that really colored my approach 
-hmm. into this organization, but then also the values that I, that I brought to the organization that I was really steadfast in and having somebody step into that type of culture, step into that organization that they had never seen anybody like me before. Also fortunate enough, I had been in my career long enough to have the develop the confidence um, and the empowerment to be able to, to do some of these things and also bring folks with me in terms of some of these values around social impact and DEI and some of these other things that, that I'm sure we'll talk about. But that's really where the biggest impact I had, I believe, is from a culture perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, the programs, yes, the the CSR and the corporate social responsibility. And I'm happy to talk more about that because that's absolutely important, particularly with the amount of resources that a company like Philip Morris International has. But I can't lose and I don't lose. And it's just so important to also focus on the people that really drive it and what happens to a cultural organization when you really start to empower people that might have felt like they didn't have voices before. Right. And that's a space I know well, because I've also worked in in organizational culture change at the global level. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I know from my perspective, you know, I've often had senior execs turn to me and say, oh, but if we do that, it's like opening a can of worms, Jane. (laughs) Like where, how are we going to handle everything that comes up, right? If we do ask for feedback, for example, from our clients, or we start to give them a voice or we start to empower them, right? And I'm just interested in, you know, what kind of challenges you kind of came up against in bringing this work into an organization like Philip Morris? I ran into exactly the challenges that you outlined in terms of some folks <laughs> in leadership being, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah what we don't want to open that can of worms. Right. And my point is that this is something that's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. And I even do this in my consultancy now. Yes, we do crisis communications and crisis work. I really, really try to get in before the crisis even occurs. And so it's always better to have the information, whether or not we do anything with it, but it's so important to try not to be caught off guard. We're gonna be caught off guard by other things, but there are things you can absolutely plan for. And so let's let's think progressively about this. Let's think about the future. Let's think about where social culture is headed and really make plans and listen to your employees as a stakeholder group and help that inform what decisions are going to be made moving forward. And so, I never had the full sign-off of the C-suite, but also quite frankly, I don't think you need the full Mm sign-off of the Mm C-suite. You need one or two individuals who share some of the same values, share some of the same visions, and share some of the same beliefs that, oh, if we do dive into this area, it can be transformative for this organization, not just internally, but externally, and it can start to build out some relationships that we've never had before. And if we are going to fully move forward from a business perspective and from a profit perspective in a way that we intend, this can only be helpful for us. I love that. And you mentioned there about really starting to look to the future. And it's almost like, what is the you know, the social culture demanding of leaders and business today. So I'd love to get your sense on, you know, what's your sense of where we are now and kind of where we're headed that, you know, business leaders and potentially politicians need to be aware of? 
The answer, I think, is a little different for business leaders and for politicians. So yeah. I'll, I'll tackle the business leaders first. And we've seen quite the transformation in terms of trends and even leadership styles and how they're discussed. I think back to when I've done the research around the 1950s and 1960s and this real kind of authoritarian, my, it's my way <laughs> or the highway and this is how it's going to be. And yes. some of that evolution over the 70s, 80s, until we are today and talking more about collaboration and shared experiences and, and more inclusive insights. And so I think we can expect it to continue to evolve in that manner. And leaders need to make sure that they are aware of the change and get as comfortable with change as possible. That's really where I run into the most resistance. It's that, that I'm going to call it fear. It's that fear of change. And the most successful business folks that I've worked with, and it's challenging for all of us. So I don't want to say like, I've, I've conquered the the idea (laughs) of fear and move forward no matter what. It's not that, but the most successful business folks that I see can be afraid, can feel uncomfortable and move forward anyway. And so that's where I try to get folks to, to get to. So that's a trend that I see in terms of being able to address fear and, and continue moving forward. Now, from a public policy and a politician perspective, I think I think what we're seeing is very varied and it's going to continue to change at a very fast pace as we go into the U.S. elections. And so you, you saw me just hesitate a little bit because I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking this answer could absolutely change within the week, depending on what comes out of different folks' mouths, um, what different shifts we're going to see. The Capitol Hill that I worked on even 10 years ago is a very different Capitol Hill and political environment than, than it is today. And between you and me, I'm kind of happy that I got out when I did. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I would say uh, a key thing for, for politicians to be aware of is their constituency and the power of their people. It's not, they aren't, they are tied to a variety of different things, but really the power, your responsibility is to your people and to your constituents. And sometimes I have seen politicians come to DC and get distracted by all of the distractions that are here in the Capitol, all of the different influences But it's so important to not forget who's truly voting for you and who's putting you in that seat and why you're here. And I love what you're sharing here because underneath the surface of what you're sharing here is something that we at Sacred Changemakers really take a stand for. And that is that business um, and politics is relational. Because when we're talking about culture, we're talking about the shared relationships, the shared values and ideas. And yet, you know, everything is relational. It's almost like we've forgotten that in business and politics somehow. We've kind of lost the humanity somewhere along the way. And I feel like now, post lockdown and pandemic, we're starting to look back and try to kind of bring some of those like value first initiatives back into what we're doing. And like what you just said there, remembering who put you in that seat, why you're there, and what the purpose is of your role here here it's like somehow we've got a bit of you know I don't know bias I don't know what we would call it but maybe it's just a hyper individualistic culture maybe that's what it is but I love that you're speaking to this 
So let me ask you a question because I know, you know, very often what you're talking about here is is a different perspective on on business and politics in this relational space. So what do most people misunderstand with your field of work? Because I've already heard you talk about uncertainty. I've already heard you talk about we don't like change, right? All these things that you do. And so what are the misunderstandings that, that arise from your work, Donica? The main misunderstanding that I see is that there is always an opportunity to find a shared purpose. Even if we are on two totally separate sides of the aisle, if we are on two totally separate sides of an issue, there is a way to find some commonality where we can come together and work for a shared goal. And so whether it's big tobacco working against anti-tobacco companies, whether it's big oil companies working against climate change NGOs, I, trust me, I get it. I get it probably more than a lot having been in those, in those spaces and in those fields. But the reason I was so successful is because I made it a point to do just what you talked about, build out personal relationships, and then really find where are there points of commonality from a corporate perspective. And then from a people perspective, I have, I developed some fantastic friendships across the board, but from a business perspective, where can we find, yes, those shared values and then also those shared goals and how can we move both of our organizations forward in a way that makes sense? Because the continued fighting against each other is something that's been going on for a very long time. And I know that both sides could be further along in their business goals if they spent more time focused on their future versus their present infighting. Now I'm getting excited, you see. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm realizing is what you're speaking to here is, you know, I'm feeling hope right, as you're talking, because you're talking about the foundational beliefs that kind of open individuals and people in power up to a new way of doing things, that this belief that you can, we can, it is possible, even if you think it's not, it is, that's surely the first step of any change, is, is helping people understand that there is a different way, and it is possible. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that it's possible because I've done it. That's yes. the amazing thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's the amazing thing. So could you give us a sense of uh, a real life example of, of some work that you've done? I mean, it, you know, of course, we want to respect client confidentiality here. But if there's any way you can just share with us some kinds of shifts and changes that you've helped others achieve. I will talk about an experience uh, from Philip Morris International to protect that that kind of client confidentiality that mm -hmm. I have now. But I will mention after I give the example some of the industries that I'm working with currently because I think that will get us thinking again about the future and what's and what's possible. Right. So one of the things that I did when I was at Philip Morris International. So I'm really passionate about, I talked earlier on about how I'm all these firsts. And it's really important for me to, when I enter into these spaces, if I am the first, to not be the last. 
And so I immediately went to our HR, our head of HR and was like, okay, um, I want to have mentor, uh, mentees, I'm sorry, mentees and interns shadow me, be involved with the work that I'm doing, support me and my team and what we're doing to not only give us more hands on deck as we're doing this great work, but it opens up a younger generation's mind and idea that this type of collaboration, this type of insight, these types of value first perspectives can really help promote change. And so my, the, the immediate response I got was, oh, we don't do that. We don't, we don't have the time. We don't do interns. We don't, we don't do any of that. And I was like, okay, do you mind if my team does it? And they were like, okay, fine. By this point, they were like, fine, Donica. Yes, yeah, she's going to go do, do what she does. Um, and so we developed the very first internship program for Philip Morris International in the United States, period. And again, this was 2019. And because of my focus and my passion for DEI, I made it exclusively with historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. And we, after we got the program up and running and all the reviews and, you know, all, all the logistics taken care of, we started pitching it out to different um, award agencies because we were really curious, is there another internship program out there that focuses just on HBCUs, not a diversity aspect of a current internship program, not a DEI piece that the DEI group does, but there's a part of a larger program, not that, but an internship program that just focuses exclusively on this population to help move them forward. And the answer was no. And so the program ended up winning all of these awards. The HR department was like, oh, interns, mentees. Oh, we, we get it now, Donica, we get it. <laughs> and then another real benefit from a communications perspective is that we have all of these young ambassadors that are going out into the world based on their positive experience that can tell a different story for the brand than folks might have experienced in the past. So those types of programs and outside the box thinking and ambassador building and third party, third party validators that we can develop both internally and externally are just invaluable for, for organizations. Uh, now, in terms of the types of clients I'm working with now, because highly regulated, um, mm -hmm. we have clients in the AI space. And so making sure that they are prepared from a social impact perspective about what's to come and being really intentional about their moves. As the US healthcare system continues to evolve in a variety of ways. We work with several pharmaceutical companies as well and helping them understand from a social impact perspective, how they can really be involved in their communities and how that can help them move some of their regulations and relationships with legislators forward. Because again, when you are in the community, when you are around the people, it's the people that then tell your story. It doesn't have to be you or your company and organization. Oh, I love that. And I know you've mentioned to me that you work with like three pillars that you maximize, public policy, communications and communication channels, and then social impact. And, you know, as I'm somebody who has like frameworks in my head when I read things. And so I was like seeing this almost like this triangulation with you at the intersection of this. 
And I'm just wondering if there's anything you can walk us through about these three pillars, because they feel really important in this space. And also, you seem to have a genius in this space that isn't, it's kind of like an unusual intersection that you're operating at here. Um, yes. Thank you for that compliment, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that the Averity Group operates in these three pillars is because what we found is that we, if we just focus on one of those pillars, we're missing out on so much opportunity and return on investment ROI for our clients. You can have a fantastic social impact program. You can be doing wonderful work. If nobody knows about it and your communications aren't strong, then the reach is more limited than it needs to be. You can have really, you can have really great social impact program. You could have regulations and legislation hanging over your head. How are you utilizing the communications around that program to help you tell a really good story that legislators and regulators can believe in and really advocate on your behalf when they're on the House floor, when they're taking their votes, or when they are directing their staff to write particular reg regulations? So that's why there is what I call the trifecta, but that's why there are those, these three different pillars, because what I found is that there's so much more opportunity for your return on investment. If you look at it holistically, rather just saying, I'm just looking at social impact or I'm just doing communications. My question is, okay, so what are we communicating about? Do you have any community involvement? If not, why? Let's address that, but then let's build something. Let's, I always like to just pilot things. Let's just see what happens. Already <laughs> knowing in my mind exactly how it's going to happen. But as we talked about, some people need to be taken along the journey in a certain type of way, which is we all start where we start. Um, and then again, I, dealing in highly regulated industries, I always have the lens of, okay, what is the end goal? Are you looking to meet? Are you looking to talk to or meet or further a relationship with this particular uh, public policy person, legislator, regulator, or on this issue, what what are the real challenges there? And then how can we back up and then build out the strategy with these two other pillars to make sure that the accurate story that we want to be told is truly out there? Mm, I love that. And, you know, it sounds to me like a lot of your work is kind of, you're like the guide taking, it's almost like, so excuse me for this metaphor, but it's almost like you're guiding people like off the edge of their own comfort zones and into the unexpected, which is of course where we do need a guide. But this is rife in today's business and political landscape is you know, leaders need to be able to deal with the unexpected. So how do you, as a guide, help them to kind of be okay with that? Because we talked earlier about fear. And I've been in, you know, my work now for over 30 years. I've never seen the level of fear at, at, as high as it is today and the level of trust as low. <laughs> mm, yes, right? yes. And that that's terminology that we use often the restoration of trust right? and how can we really rebuild trust, particularly with some of these organizations and industries that it's been deteriorating for a variety of reasons for a number of years. How can we, how can we pivot that? How can we change that? To your question about how do we guide leaders? Mm. Mm. We, st I start, 
by making sure that I truly understand what the goals are. What do you want? Okay, so what we want is the same. Have you tried this approach? Have you tried this approach? No, no. Is there a reason why? No, okay, well, are you open to, if you're not open to it, why aren't you open? So it's really kind of getting into that nitty gritty understanding of where people are and making sure that their, I don't wanna say fear, that their perspective is data-driven and not emotional and reactional. We really, all the work that we do, and I know you know this, particularly in the social impact space, in the human space, in the relationship, in the relational space, there's data that that proves this. Yeah. You know, we don't have to, it does feel good, but there's, we're also just very data driven. We also have to be as we're going up against some of these, these other, other mechanisms that have the numbers behind them. I always say that the work that we do, although it can sometimes appear that these are the soft skills, these aren't the soft skills. These are the hard skills that are necessary to truly move industries forward. And it's been operating the other way for so long. If you want want different results, you've got to change your behavior and just try and see what happens. Mm, I love that reframe. It's not the soft skills. The amount of times people have said that to me as well. <laughs> it's like we 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 can't we don't want to do that. It's just like woo woo and soft skills and and you know we're like we have a scientific mindset here and we run our data and you know and it's like yes and these aren't the soft skills. <laughs> these are the hard skills, which is why you haven't done them yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I love that. So. What kind of challenges do you notice when you're out there in the environment, kind of in the in the business marketplace? And I know this, and also I'm going to ask you in politics, so it's a little bit like how long is a piece of string? I get that. But take this question wherever you want to. But I'm interested in what challenges you notice that people are facing today that perhaps are new challenges that weren't around, say, in 2019, you know, pre-pandemic. Challenges that people are facing that weren't available, that weren't around pre-pandemic. Hmm. Or maybe they were around, but they didn't notice them. Yeah. <laughs> so they, maybe they showed I'll... up differently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe they started to be a bit more aware post-pandemic. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that's interesting is in, and I hate saying that we're post-pandemic because I still believe that we're continuing yes, to move. I agree. To move through it, but what the pandemic forced business leaders to do is to be more flexible and open, even though they really didn't want to, but you can't (laughs) force your employees when there's a national mandate to be in the office, for example. Uh, You know, so there are um, regulations uh, that were preventing them from doing business as usual. And so a trend that I see is, leadership becoming more malleable and a little more flexible and creative, kind of like the trends we were talking about from decades ago and kind of what we've seen this far. I just see more, more of that evolution happening, certainly from a, from a business perspective. And I, I credit the pandemic for that. Otherwise I'm seeing change in places where I don't think that it would have existed previously. Mm -hmm. Now I'm also seeing a bit of a revert 
back now that it feels like, oh, we're back to pre-pandemic <laughs> days. Let's let's get back to where I was initially comfortable. <laughs> and so in some ways, I I feel like I'm having to reprove what's already been proven. Mm. Like you, you've already made this shift. Let's keep going towards progress and future. Let's not revert back to that comfort zone where you're really struggling in some of these areas. Let's continue to, to push because otherwise you're going to just have to do a full 180 in 10 or 20 years to get these results versus being forced to do some of these things within the pandemic, being 15% there because of the pandemic. Let's keep going. And how are people responding to that message? I mean, is there an appetite for this kind of work? There's absolutely an appetite for it. There's an appetite for it from a public policy perspective because I brand myself as specializing in highly regulated industries because those are the industries from which I've I've worked in. But now I've learned that everybody thinks that they're highly regulated, even if they have only one local regulation that's <laughs> an issue for them uh, in terms of their license to operate. And so my pool of, of clients has grown in a way that I couldn't have even expected because my idea of highly regulated was so, was so narrow at the time of my, my business starting. And so once folks understand that there is a different way to approach public policy, that lobbying is not enough. I've been a lobbyist. I've been on both sides. I've been the folks being lobbied too, been the people on the other side of the aisle. I, I get it. Lobbying is so important. It is not enough. You have to be able to show up as a better corporate citizen. You have to be able to show up as relatable and somebody or some corporations are not people, but as some entity that is worth fighting for. So what is your work in service of, Danica? Is there a, is there a big vision that you hold for the future of our world in some way that this is contributing to? I mean, what what is this about for you? Why are you doing this? <laughs> yes, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I truly believe that business can achieve all of their profits and they can achieve all of their goals and they can make their shareholders very, very, very happy. And they can do it in a way that also benefits the communities in which they operate and the people that, that drive these companies forward. I've seen it. And the organizations, companies that I work with now, there seems to be, and probably in the future, a disconnect. And I think we've gotten away from the human aspect of, of this work. And so that's, that's my goal. My goal is to be able to continue to show organizations and companies why social impact is important how it can be utilized from a communications perspective, a public policy perspective. It's even more important if you're highly regulated and there's zero trust in your industry and Mm. people hate you. That doesn't mean that you just keep doing what you're doing and try to shove your message down your throat, down people's throats. No, there is an opportunity for you to be seen better and to achieve your goals easier and also bring on friends that used to be enemies. And if you're not friends and enemies, there can at least be a better cohabitation environment. And so that's that. my goal. Yeah. Do you, yeah, do you fancy me. running for president? Because I feel like just going mic drop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
that's great. And and I love that you're really kind of taking the challenges that, that business and politics is facing head on. And you're you're really kind of diving in deep to some of those like gnarly systemic issues that we have. And you're really helping guide people through, but do it in a way that's, you know, kind of good for people as well as good for the profit and the bottom line and their reputations and their brands. You're taking all of this together. So I just want to thank you for the work you're doing because I think it's so needed in our marketplace today. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Now, you've also had a very interesting career, Donica. So, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew at the beginning of your career, just as you were starting out, that you know now that you didn't then? <laughs> I think that I wish I knew. And this is what I tell, um, particularly the young women who, who I mentor and who I speak to, that everything's going to be okay. That's what I wish that I knew. I'm type A, I can be high strung (laughs) and in very stressful situations, you can imagine. And sometimes things can feel overwhelming, but I've gotten through it, you know, and it's now over a a decade of doing this type of work and doing the things that I've done. And it's been more rewarding than I ever could have imagined. And at the start of my career, as I talked about, I... I was, I framed myself as a recovering lawyer. I didn't even think about doing this. I didn't even know this type of work existed. And so uh, that's what I, that's what I tell. Um, that's what I would tell my young self, like just keep going and it's going to be okay. <laughs> and it's going to be better than you can have ever imagined. Mm, I love that. I do. You just got this like optimistic personality that's just like, everything's going to be fine. Let's just go. <laughs> Right. Let's just go do this. Right. So one of the things we talk about as Sacred Change Makers is um, I mean it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek in a way, which is that, you know, there are people that have like a purpose to their careers and their businesses. And then there are people that have a calling. So I'm wondering, would you describe this as like your calling for this lifetime? Which just to give you a little bit of a sense, that feels like a a soul's calling more than just like, this is the purpose of my business. This is my why. Does it feel like that for you? Like the thing you can't not do? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I can say that because in each of the roles that I've had, I've always developed this other piece, whether it existed initially or not. There's always going to be a focus on community and social impact and people in DEI regardless of what I'm doing. And when I think about what truly drives me, it goes back into my family and looking at the work that my grandmother did and looking at the work that my mother did. It's, it's in my DNA. It's in my soul to use, to use your language. And so I think Mm. the answer to that is absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Just kind of sitting with that for a moment, because somehow it just deepens everything Mm. that you've said so far, because it's in service of a much bigger kind of impact than, say, just profit, which is what a lot of businesses are about here. So you're not only like guiding others through this, but you're manifesting and building that yourself, which, you know, I give you great respect for. Absolutely. So. What I'd like to know now is like, what's a lie for you right now with your work? I mean, what is it you're most passionate about right now? 
am I most passionate about mm. right now? I have several new clients in new spaces that mm. I uh, hadn't even thought of working in. And so I'm excited about, and they are coming to me before there is even a crisis, which is <laughs> right. my preference. And so, um, and I like their leadership and I like their people. And I think it says something to, to understand the possibility of an issue before it even comes. Like I love that forethought in leadership. And so I'm really excited to be able to deliver the types of results that we've talked about for these organizations that I truly believe deserve it. And they are going about it in the right way. They are trying to be intentional. They are trying to set themselves up for success. They are highly regulated and um, they have their lobbyists, they have their marketers, they have their crisis comms teams, but for them to step out and say, we know that there's a way for us to do this more authentically, let us reach out for help to see how we can do this. So I'm excited for these new organizations and bringing them to the communities in which they already impact and seeing that shared value realized. And you just said something there very important, I think, which is you said authenticity. And I know this is something that you stand for in the world, like a radical authenticity, because you're not talking about your work as just some like 10 step process that everybody follows. It seems to me that it's really important that every like organization that you work with, whether it's politics or business, has the opportunity to do it in a way that feels aligned for them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And there's no cookie cutter solution for these very big, complex challenges that these different organizations are dealing with. It depends on where they're located. Are they global or are they US based? How big are they? Are they small or mid size? What industry are they in? Uh, you know, all these types of factors play into the solutions that are possible. So you're absolutely right. There's not a, a cookie cutter process. And in terms of authenticity, my desire is to focus on the external because that's what excites me. I like to see the results. I like to see the, the people and the relationships build. But none of that is possible if the internal isn't in order. And so there's actually a, a pretty large piece <laughs> of my consultancy, which intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, does help organizations get in order internally. Because to your point, unless you have something authentic to say, and you have a track record, and you have the proof when folks are going to challenge some of these external statements, then it doesn't matter. So absolutely internal, absolutely influences the external. So I'm going to ask you what for me is something of a devil's advocate question, but I know there'll be some of our listeners that are out there thinking, well, this sounds great and it works for like Donica's clients, but it wouldn't work for us. What would you say to those people? <laughs> I, I would wonder why. Um, why would right. they think that this wouldn't work for them? And I would also say that if there is a challenge that you're having, it's worth a conversation to see if I and my team are able to offer solutions that you might not have thought of yet. 
And that's key, isn't it? Because we don't know what we don't know at the end of the day. And that's where a guide can be incredibly helpful. So I've got to ask you this question, because if you've been talking, it's a really stupid question. So I'm just going to frame it that way, (laughs) (laughs) which is, as you've been talking, all I can see in my head is that um, that TV show scandal. Is that the work that you do? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Is that you? (laughs) Oh, um. If I could be Carrie Washington, I, you know, <laughs> if only. Um, no, it's not me because I'm <laughs> not an individual fixer for the White House right. um, or the president. But I will say that there are pieces of I'm trying to remember what her character's name was I can't remember I can't remember her name either but I know they did crisis management and all kinds of stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes very varied in their services for sure (laughs) for sure but what I can say is that and I'm also I really dislike when people over promise and under deliver Um, it's a it's a pain point for me And so, which is why I say it's always worth a conversation. I'll say that when I think about the the TV series of Scandal and the approaches that Kerry Washington had with her her clients, um, that politics piece, that public policy piece might be something that we lean into a little bit. Now I'm trying to remember the specific episodes. I was drawn (laughs) to the drama. It was the drama that ABC provided for me that I enjoyed. I'm like, what is this? But um, no, I love that. That's a that's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my friend. Well, I have completely enjoyed our conversation today and I know our listeners will have got so many insights, but I've got one final question just to bring us home, which is, you know, if there's something that you would like to share with our listeners, it might be some words of wisdom. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's something that we haven't managed to cover that you would like to share. What might it be? We touched on it a little bit, but I what's coming to me is saying, move beyond the fear. Mm. And what's on the other side of fear is opportunity are opportunities that you haven't even imagined yet, whether that's personal or professional mm. or for the organization or company. Mm. I love that. And I love how your work kind of spans from the individual through different levels of system because I can feel the ripple effect Mm -hmm. that's going to go out into our world from your work so thank you so much Donica for taking the time to share with us your genius it has been such a great conversation thank you this has been a pleasure thank you so much (laughs) okay guys well that's all we have time for today thank you so much for listening in Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to the members of our Sacred Changemakers Inner Circle, who are our podcast sponsors, and our extended community, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for a little more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that maybe you too have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or just simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, 
I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intentions and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love. Thank you.